You're listening to Well Glaxis, the podcast that helps you put your wellness first. Learn how Black women like you are putting their wellness first in their lives and striving mentally, emotionally, financially, and physically every day. I'm your host, Marilyn Painter, which you can call me Mel. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Glaxis podcast. I have a really exciting episode today. guys welcome back to the well blacks podcast we took about two weeks off just for some rest and relaxation and we are happy to be back today we are speaking to cara stevens cara is the founder of the frugal feminista a community she developed to help six-figure black women step into their financial confidence demolish their debt and set themselves up for financial ease she's a highly regarded personal finance coaching expert with a primary focus on women of color. After struggling to claw her way out of student loans and consumer debt worth $65,000, she learned a lot. Not only that it was possible to eliminate financial debt, but that she also had some unhealthy beliefs about money, which I can say a lot of us do. Cara is the author of Heal Your Relationship with Money, a book with a five-star rating on Amazon. Let's welcome Cara. Okay, Cara, welcome to the Well Black Sis podcast. I'm so happy to have you finally. You know, it's been long in coming. Yeah, likewise. Happy to be here. Okay, I want to jump into some rapid fire questions. That's what I kind of call it for the audience to get to know you a little bit. What's your favorite snack? Oh, uh, it should be fast. Um, Oreos, but the golden Oreos. Oh, okay. The Oreo thins, but the golden ones, not the black and white ones. The, yeah. the, the Those are my favorite too. <laughs> Preferred vacation spot, beach beach or city vibe? Beach. Beach. Wow. But not necessarily touching the water. I could be near it, okay. but there has to be shade because I don't like being hot. Okay. <laughs> what? You're an island girl. What you mean? I know. I don't like being hot like that. Unless I'm in the water, but I can't just be hot and sweating for no good reason. It just right. doesn't feel good. Okay. Pizza or pepper pot? Pepper pot, girl, come on. <laughs> right, got you. All right. All right. So we want to jump right in. I got a lot of questions from our little community. Like people are excited. We have finally have a financial person on. So I'm just like, let's get into it. Okay, so I want to start with your own story. Your story begins with being in debt, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow you relate your sense of self-worth to relationship with money. So I want to start by asking, how does self-esteem, our self-esteem factor into our relationship with money? Okay. So I want to talk about what it isn't first real quick. So how much money you have does not determine how you should feel about yourself. Um, Just number one. And number two, say you're a business owner or you're working for yourself, you're a small business or you're an entrepreneur. Just because someone doesn't pay you the rate that you ask for does not mean that, number one, that number is your worth. That's the value that you're offering. Mm -hmm. And that you can necessarily have to take it personally if the person is saying you're not worth that. It could be their budget. It could be a lot of other things. So I just want to separate those things. Mm -hmm. So when it comes, though, to how we manage money um, and how we see ourselves, I think sometimes that. When we are in a, say, the journey of healing, 
There are a lot of things that before we were healing, we used to bring other things into our lives. Mm -hmm. And say, for example, when it comes to the people, the items, the foods, the experiences, those were all funded with money or the decision to um, save a decision to think about the long term. Those all are definitely a function of how we value ourselves in the present and in the future. So the decision to budget um, regularly is a fundamental understanding that I know that I need to be able to take care of myself, to engage in self-care, to do the healing that I need. I need to do it now. I need to be able to do it next month and the month after that. And when it comes to things like longer term investments and retirement, I know that I am worth the investment. Now, there could be issues of not having enough money, which that's not a connection to how you understand money can support, how your understanding of yourself supports how you use your money and the decisions you make around money. But mm -hmm. when you start to think about it in that way, that you know that money can be used to create a foundation to support you. And you know that you is an important, is important that you deserve security, that you deserves all the other things that come with being able to plan thoughtfully around money. That's where I see there's a larger relationship. Sometimes when we're in these phases of say, um, looking for others to do that for us, we are looking and expecting others to maybe perhaps rescue us because we don't feel that we have the ability, the wherewithal, or even the will to do it for ourselves. Or we're thinking that we don't have the, um, the aptitude to do so. So when I think, when I talk about it that way, it's more of a, like a, 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 a foundational um, part of how we see ourselves um, rather than more of like, you hate yourself, that's why you go and splurge. That's not necessarily that necessary, that one-to-one. -one. It's a larger understanding that I, my, and knowing that money is a tool that can be used to purchase access, to purchase information, to purchase resources. And I am deserving of those resources. When that mindset is really fostered and culti cultivated, you'll be able to see that your relationship with money will change that way. So you'll still maybe do your shopping and do the things that you want to do that may meet a particular desire in the moment. But you also understand it's equally important to take care of the fundamental things first. I like that. You, you said something that I think I want to reiterate, which is we are deceiving. And I think that's a message that we as black women do not receive a lot or do not think about a lot. And we see so many people around us using like their personal relationships, marriages to kind of get out of debt or to use it as a springboard into, okay, I'm an investor now, or I can get my credit up if I do, if I marry the person because they have their, and I think that's something that could be very damaging to us in the long run, because what if something happens to that person and they are no longer there? It's like, sure. it's almost like a get rich quick scheme. Like I'll marry this person because I can get this money. But also if this person dies, I get a mother load. But if my fundamental attitude about money was that I never knew how to handle it in the first place, I'm going to keep wanting that yeah. lifestyle. So I'm still going to keep doing the thing to get me that lifestyle. You know what I mean? So that's, right. I think the message to be received there is 
we are deserving or I am deserving. And so therefore I can handle um, dealing with my money and understanding that anything that I do is also an extension of, of that. And you also talked about when we splurge, um, personally, I know a lot of people who we call it retail therapy, and I don't know if that's necessarily a thing, but we go out and we end up spending beyond our means. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit to, I don't know necessarily how can we curb that or what, what do we have to do to switch our thinking to really like get into a mindset where retail therapy serves the retailer, not us? So I have a couple of thoughts that may not sound like conventional um, personal finance when it comes to retail therapy. So a lot of times we in the just in this world, we put everything. It's either black or white, red, you know, um, man or woman. Everything is at odds. Mm -hmm. So needs and wants focus Mm -hmm. on your needs, not on your wants. But. You know, that makes you a boring person. That makes you an unfulfilled person. Right. <laughs> like, like I need to bathe, but I want to smell like flowers and, you know, petals as right. a result of my body wash. So you're just going to have your just dry water and some soap, or you want to add some sauce and flavor to it. And I think that's what we need to have a conversation when it comes to like impulse purchases. Or just retail therapy in general. Retail therapy, guys, just for the bottom line, if you want to get to the end of the story, it's not a happy ending. You buy it, you see it, you buy it. And at the end of it, you like, you don't get, you get the immediate feeling of like, you felt good, you felt good about the purchase. But I would love for you to track. And I've done this to myself. Where I'm feeling kind of like in a, in a funk. Like, Let me go get me something. And I actually... And a side note, but this is also um, important. I actually put a little budget aside for like blowing money funds. So you put $50 a month. So your splurges don't put you into debt. You could be fine. You know what I mean? So that's one thing. So that's one way. If you need to impulse buy, make it a strategic structured way, which is kind of um, what they call um, oxymoron, like a, a jumbo shrimp, but it exists, right? right. So make your, make your impulse buys scheduled. Like I got $50 to burn this month. Let's go. And then you feel good about it and you move on with your life. But what at the end of the retail therapy cycle is that what you end up having are the same feelings, the same feeling that brought you there, the same feeling of perhaps anger or disappointment or anxiety or worry are the same things that are going to be there after you purchase the item. So perhaps investing, excuse me, that retail therapy can go into counseling or into a conversation with someone that can help you find better ways to cope with that feeling so you don't have to experience it again. And so with retail therapy, um, you have to really think, especially if you're having it often, what's really at the root of it. And why do you think that purchasing this one item, and oftentimes in the work that I've done with women, some women feel so um, not seen, undervalued, that their splurges, see my splurge is like under, you know, $50, $25, you know, for a month, or sometimes that carries over because, you know, I have that part of my life, my emotions manage. But I sometimes find that the women who feel the least seen, the least honored and appreciated, their purchases not only are more frequent, 
but they're more expensive. I had one woman that I was working with felt so underappreciated that she went out and bought herself um, a, a Benz truck in the middle of the night, right? Because she said, if no one's going to do it for me, I have to do it for myself. And this was after not feeling appreciated. So I think it's important for us to be able to actually sit with the negative emotion. I think some of us think that having negative emotions is um, something that we should avoid, as opposed to what is this feeling teaching me? Because our negative emotions are emotions that give us learning and healing as well. If you're hurting, it's saying something needs to be addressed. And so I can just offer that, um, that in all things of healing, impulse buys, the quantity and um, the frequency definitely gives you information for you to say, listen, I'm doing this. Clearly something is troubling me and I deserve to be able to feel good. How can I actually get the support that I need? Where do I need to actually put this money that I would buy, use buying something to actually help me become the woman that, you know, doesn't need to impulse buy to kind of mask these feelings. And this is exactly what you do with the frugal feminist community, right? Is to help black women heal, deepen, strengthen, not only their relationship with themselves, but also their relationship with money. What was it that you were seeing that made you want to make this part of your life's mission? Well, I think it was, I was having problems with my money and my emotions. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us talk about the people that <clears throat> impulse buy, but I found myself in the opposite direction. And a lot of us with them um, in the Caribbean um, community mm -hmm who never felt deserving to purchase the thing that they actually want because it was too expensive right. or it was too much. It was out of our reach. So it's on the opposite sides of the same coin of not deserving. Like, who am I to want this? You know, um, what are people going to say? Who are not going to look and say something? Right. And so I think that my relationship with money had to go through its um, process of healing and transformation and elevation um, when I realized that certain things that were just basic necessities, I would deprive myself of them, feeling that I didn't need it. I didn't need it. But it wasn't life. I had to realize life isn't just about needs. It's about wants. And those on the other sides, life is just not about wants. It's also about <clears throat> being able to meet your needs. And I think depending on the angle that you come from, you may realize that you're more than capable of honoring your wants. Now it's time to meet your needs which is the retirement, the emergency fund, you know, the investing and um, getting out of debt. And on the other hand, if you have all this money saved, but you ain't live, then you are deserving to learn how to open your hand and live some life. Uh, happy you mentioned that too. Lots of friends, money in the bank, and it's just sitting there. Right, they're looking at you. Yeah. Right, <laughs> and you're not getting nothing from it. Right. How does how does our parents' relationship with money impact our very own? I know you can speak to this coming from a Caribbean perspective as well, because we have our own thing going on there. Right, right. Yeah, man, we have a lot of things going on there. And I think that can't speak for Caribbean people because we are, you know, a multicultural mm -hmm. uh, identity. Uh, but as I would say, immigrants to other countries, we carry this belief of work hard, work hard, keep your nose down. You don't have second chances. And when it comes to money, it's better to save more and everything else 
Your comfort is secondary. Sacrifice is paramount. Discipline is number one. And deprivation is just par for the course. It's necessary. It's almost like you have to have, you have to suck salt in order for anything to be worthy of achievement. And that's not true. That's not true at all. Like we don't have to struggle and grind um, for long periods of time in order to be able to gain um, something in return. There may be times that you have to make trade-offs, of course, but I think what ends up happening from our parents is that we don't know, we haven't set the, the target to be a fixed target that this is what we consider to be the time where you can relax mm -hmm. after you've met this milestone. It's okay, maybe even along the way to celebrate, you still, you'll still get there. And I think that the idea of happiness and success are two different things, but we need both. Mm -hmm. And when I say success, it's different for everybody. But in terms of our uh, parenting, especially from a Caribbean perspective, is economic stability that we're looking for, financial return, um, education, making sure that children have education, that, you know, you come on top of the class, you know, everything, um, you, you go into school, you get an education, you buy a house, like, those are the things, excuse me, that are major cultural milestones of success in our community. But it also often comes at personal sacrifice and harm that sometimes can't, and relationship damage that, not, that cannot necessarily be repaired that quickly. What we have to do is begin to take the great things that uh, the great economic lessons of being Caribbean you know, the susu, the, you know, I wouldn't say the multiple jobs, but this, this optimism and this ability to um, be progressive and take advantage of opportunities and bring joy into the journey that it's not frivolous. You know, it's not, um, you're not what list if you decide to take a break, you know, from doing something in order to relax your soul, you know, it's part of being human. And I think once we humanize our Caribbean tendency to go hard. I think um, from our parents, those are the messages that we've, we've passed down that I want you to go to college, the best college, and I want you to be happy there. I want you to have fun there. So we can just add on to what they pass down to us um, and make sure that the, that both, that the, the statement and the message has an element of happiness and an element that will lead to that financial success that they want for us. Yes, absolutely. So what were some practical things that you did to get yourself out of your 65K debt? Um, I did a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> at, at the time that <clears throat> I was getting out of debt, I was very much in hustle mode. And I think just to, uh, to, to give context, I enjoyed doing that. I was single and no kids. And so I had a lot of time, you know, and so I found ways to make extra money. So I was, a, um, I had friends too, who are entrepreneurs. So I um, supported them. Um, I had a friend that had a couple of stalls at the flea market. So I would help him and be his security so no one stole anything. I would put books on amazon.com and check.com um, and sell those. That actually made um, like a thousand dollars back in the day. Um, I was a, um, 
I was a Mickey Mouse character at birthday parties. So I had fun things that I could do. Yeah. And it was so cute. And the little girl kissed me on the nose. Like those are things that I did. Um, but on top of that, I actually, so those are the extra the things I did to bring in money. Right. right? <clears throat> but also at that time, what I did is I started to look at the highest cost areas in my budget and try to reduce them. Now I have to say in all transparency, this can't be for everyone, but there's alternatives is that I moved back home during a large part of that time in order to save money and I paid rent to my mother. So it wasn't you know, New York City rents, it was probably like a third of the cost back then, 10 years ago, even more. That was number one, um, a decision that may, I know many people can't make, but they can make similar decisions of deciding to rent out a room mm-hmm. or to get a roommate right? Or to move to a less expensive part of the country. Those are alternatives to doing that, especially now that we're living remotely. The uh, the idea of having to lose your job um, at the expense of moving is not, oh, is not uh, a necessary thing that actually has to happen now. And so this was before remote. This is, I had to like be where I had to be. So there are also lots of states, say, for example, um, I don't know if I remember the top of my head, that are giving incentives to move to their towns, um, in order to revitalize those areas and you get an incentive to do so. Um, I didn't take advantage of those, but you can take advantage of those. I'll just give those as alternatives to maybe, you know, having less payment on rent. But what I also did is like, I learned more importantly, what were my necessary expenses um, at that time? And I decided to live simply, you know, there were a lot of things that part of the journey was really checking my ego at that time um, I think it's a little bit different now, but back in the day, you know, especially when you were dating and people wanted to come to your place, you know, so you can get to know each other a little bit better. And then you're like, well, I got a six-year-old roommate, you know, what's good? You know, you want to come over? And so I'm being funny, but at the same time, it was I felt it was, I was more embarrassed that I wasn't living the sex in the city life. That was when sex in the city was on at the time. <laughs> I was embarrassed to say, you know, that I was, I didn't have it all together. But I had to check my ego because I knew that if I was kept on the road to having these multiple streams of income, I also started writing for a magazine, uh, um, a Brooklyn-based newspaper, Our Time Press. I was a classroom teacher, so I worked um, overtime um, that as well. So I had at least five to seven different gigs happening simultaneously. So I could actually save the majority, excuse me, of my main check, perhaps live off the extra income and then really get clear about the debt. But also part of the the consumer debt too um, was if you had rewards points, you could use some of the rewards points that you had for that debt to actually apply it to um, repaying the debt instead of getting like a plane ticket or something like that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, that's what we're talking about, even though um, fundamentally we were going through our, we all go through our different phases of healing and we're talking about this I this idea of deserving I even when I was a classroom teacher classroom teacher I was still learning how to invest even though I was in debt so I was still growing my money so at the point when after I had um I had 65k over three degrees on the last 40k which I got rid of in two years I was able to take some of the money that I had invested and take like maybe two or three or 4,000 and then pay off some of the bigger debt like that. And so it's not just the little amounts that you get here from gigging. And it's not just the amounts you do from saving. 
It's also the amounts that you use from growing your money in these non-brokerage accounts that can help you um, when you're in a bind to pay off the last bits of the debt so anything else moving forward is growing for you. Mm, that's a lot. How does your book, Heal Your Relationship with Money, help readers? I think it helps readers because it helps tell a lot of our stories of us that might feel that I know I'm smart. You know, I went to school. I'm not a stupid girl, but I can't get my money right. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I can I go to all the sites. I come to all the podcasts. I listen. You know, I listen to Mel. But why can't I all of a sudden sit in front of a budget and get it right? Or if I get the budget right the first time, I don't stick with it to the end of the month. Why? Well, I think a lot of times it's because of how we feel our relationship with money. We have to address that first. So I think what the book does, it gives a language to those of us that are just like, I know that I should be doing better, but I don't know why I keep um, in this holding um, position right now. Like I start and I stop. Or I feel anxious, I don't want to start. I have a lot of anger with my parents. I don't know why all of a sudden. And so what it does, it helps you break down some of the reasons why you may have a range of emotions. Some of them may be positive, but they tend to be more on the anxious, out of control, um, not feeling like you can um, do it yourself um, Mm -hmm. level. And it helps give you a language to understand why. And it also gives you tools to help you little by little create a relationship with money that's yours, not your parents, not societies, but yours. And so I think what the book does, it it makes you feel hopeful and it provides you with tools. Because like I said, I was a classroom teacher. I was also a school administrator. So I'm all about I'm all about the theoretical, but I got to lead into something practical. So what's that going to mean? You know, so right. I teach you how do you begin to build routines that actually make sense? How do you have a money conversation? When are you going to look at your money? When are you going to open up your accounts? What are your triggers? How are you going to avoid them? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you get to understand the why, but you also get to learn how to figure out your how in your own way. And you have a course that helps people with this attached to the book too? It's coming soon. It's coming um, yeah, so I no, that's not true. I have one. It's not, I'll say, I have one. It's called Heal Your Relationship with Money. Mm-hmm. And it's not me teaching you live. That's why I, in my initial thing, I went straight to that. But it's a, yes, that's a course that will help you get through healing your relationship with money. And it's a great companion to the book. And I'll leave you the link to it as well. And I give you guys a community discount since okay. I love you now. So, but in terms of like, and also have a three day retreat, which is three days deep of me and you live doing your heal your relationship with money. And that's a little bit later. I haven't announced the, the date for that. So I was thinking more of like the full intensive of like healing from the inside out. So we talk about money shame. We talk about writing your own story when it comes to money. We talk about the story that was written for you. We talk about the techniques that used to help you rewrite um, your history. And then we move on to money mastery. Then we talk about your relationship with time. Mm-hmm. And so it's this whole um, experience when it comes to self, money, time, purpose, you know, like, and how do I use all these things um, and these tools? And one, money is one of them to help make the life that I want be the life that I have. 
Yeah, I think that's the hardest. The hardest part, I think, for a lot of us is how to make money work for us. Because if we go back, our parents never really taught us the intricacies of money, how to make it work. They worked for money. They exchanged time for dollars. And so we don't we don't have any idea. You come to a place like America and it's oh, all these opportunity. I could have 10 jobs. I could do all of this. But what am I doing behind the scenes with the money so that I don't have to work 10 jobs for 50 or 60 years, you know? So I really think a lot of us can use this. So let me just keep me up to date on when it is. And so I'll share it with the rest of the community because I really feel like we need it. Even if, even if we have been handling money, for those out there who have been handling their money, we do need a refresh and an intensive at some point. Just keep us in the know. So I think Caribbean people, what I love about Caribbean folk, just our people, is that we know how to save. So we don't have to do a, we don't have to do a savings class. I mean, I can't say all, but I think we understand. And we also know how to have 10 jobs. Hey, y'all, how about we not have 10 jobs? How about we have 10 streams of income, right? And we can figure out how they can be passive. How about that? And I think just this, and then we can use all that free time to rest our souls and rest yourself, right? How about that? You know what I mean? So I think that, and then feel good that, I think a lot of us, you know, grew up in these kind of Puritan, you have to work hard. And if you're not working, you know, um, idle hands or devil's hands or the devil's playground, like, actually, it's not joy and pleasure. It's all good. You know, God wants that for us, too. So I think that um, and in and, and, and helping us understand the things that are our strengths, like as a Caribbean culture, you know, as immigrants that come to different countries, we know how to take risks. Number one, for you to get here to there, to decide to leave all the things that you know to come to someplace, you have, you're optimistic. You are a risk taker. You have to be somewhat organized to get all the paperwork to get, you know, and you're persistent. Now, if someone helps you with that, that's a different story, but then they're persistent, but they helped you, right? But then we have to be able to say when those skills are no longer the skills that are needed to get us to the next level, we don't disparage them. We don't say, I'm gonna stop saving that stupid. Oh no, that don't make no sense. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to stop all of a sudden being thoughtful about money just because you're at a different level, but we have to integrate that into a new set of skills. Okay. Now that I've been able to quickly with my susu, right? I've been able to do this susu rotation. Maybe I shouldn't save the money. Maybe if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling adventurous, let me take half the hand, maybe save it, but half the hand and maybe put it in an investment property. Let's see how that goes. Do you know what I'm saying? And then that's how you begin to take what, is already working and make it work better so you can get to the next level. How does, um, so we're in a somewhat recession, pseudo recession or we're going into recession. I don't really know what's going on, but what should we be paying attention to right now? Well, I don't think you should pay attention to your portfolio. You should not, okay. is what I'm saying. I think you should continue Okay. I mean, in a sense of pulling money out, I think you should continue. The, the market goes up and down as it normally does and the market adjusts. So if you think this is a sign that you should continue, you should stop or not even enter, this is when things are actually on sale. And as Caribbean folk without being, you know, corny or blanket, we love a good sale, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to buy your stocks now. So when they go up in a couple of years, you got them at the lowest price possible. So look at it as buying as a sale. So I wouldn't be looking at your portfolio. You know, my mom sometimes, oh my God, Mel. My mom's like, Kara, you know what's going on? You see what's happening? You know what I mean? I was like, it's a bloodbath out there. Mom, stop calling me. Stop calling me. 
since she retired, all she does is like, she's like CNBC. She'd be calling me. <laughs> don't tell me. Don't tell me. She's like, don't open up your puff. Don't open up your envelope. Don't open it up. I wasn't planning to, but she's going to tell me. So I understand how we are, but I think it's also the mindset. Right. Shift the mindset from one of saving and you're losing your money. Since If you haven't taken the money out the, the market, then it hasn't been a realized loss. Okay? okay. It is not lost. It, it's just the money is there. If you take it out, then you have a loss. Right. Also, if you, if you don't take it out and it's a gain, then it's not really yours until you've actually taken it out. So right. once everything, one, let everything settle. And if you have, so I think that's one of the things is what we should be doing is being um, consistent with our investing and changing our mindset around this being the time to pull back instead of the time to lean in. This is a good time to lean in and continue what we call dollar cost averaging, continuing to buy um, at the at what we're currently doing, levels that we're currently doing, because that means that the prices across the time, when the prices do, do go back up, it will dollar cost average on the to trend lower because say it was $10 today, but next week it's 20. Then next week after that, it's 30. You would come down in 20, that the, you bought it at 20 because you were able to buy it at 10 as well as 30, right? So I would say that. Mm-hmm. So you're, let me, let me get this clear. So you're saying, is it that our savings should be more investing? So we're not taking money and sit, putting it in the bank to sit. We're trying to invest. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, no. So I'm saying if you are already investing, mm-hmm. to keep on doing it. Okay. okay. That's what I'm saying. Now, in terms of making sure that it, uh, the best place for your money may not necessarily be the bank with outside of your, your immediate needs, because mm-hmm. we're hitting, they say, 8.6, 11, sometimes they say 11% um, in terms of inflation. So if you're going to be continually putting money into your bank account, thinking with your 0.01% or at most something something like 2% seems sexy for interest you're not going to get the same the cost the value of your money or the purchasing power of your money is going to erode the best bet is to make sure that all of your needs are met you have your emergency fund goals met but then if you if you're investing to continue to do so don't take the money as i'm saying don't take investing money and put it towards savings is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. if you've been investing continue to invest if you have been saving Continue to save to meet the, your current new needs because of the increase in price, but don't over um, compensate for the inflation to the extent that you're putting more than necessary away because you're afraid that inflation is happening. But the response to inflation is not to put your money into something that's going to have it appreciate at one or two percent. It's to put it in a vehicle that's going to actually have it grow faster. All right, so we're going to jump into some rapid-fire community questions. Okay. And thank you so much for all the advice that you've given. I'm sure once we listen to this, we're going to really get some uh, good things to like go back to. And I, I have to say, let me just, before we jump into the questions, I have to say I really like that you've been relating our self-care, our wounds, and our healing, most of all, as Black women, to the way we relate to money, to our money, because for, you know, I feel like we separate the two and you've touched on that before, 
and we don't think that they come together. I've been recently reading this book um, by Dr. Christian Northrup, and she really talks about healing holistically, but healing in the way we start to think. And I think sometimes money is not even in that equation because we think of it as side of us, but we need money to live. We need money to thrive. We need money all the time. And so I think it really has to come into a conversation of if I am healing my body, I'm also healing my relationship with money, my relationship with people, my relationship, my space around me. And that yes. has to be, a, yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing. So our first question from the community today is how does someone recover from depleting their retirement income? Like over the course of time, they've been just been taking money out to save themselves, moving, doing whatever they need to do. But how do they, I guess? Well, I would, hmm. Yeah. So I would say number one, stop dipping into your retirement. That's right. number one. So no, I'm being funny because I think sometimes the obvious is just not necessary. You got to stop. Um, I don't know why retirement was also seen as the first. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the only source of income. So I would, it's hard to give like a general answer without knowing all the details, but I would say number one, stop digging yourself deeper. And then two, I would also look to <clears throat> see, depending especially on your age, how can you play catch up now, right? So because what's happening is that you're going to, you can't take the loan out for retirement, right? So you're going to have to be able to self-fund your retirement. <clears throat> and so I would start thinking about are uh, what savings do you currently have that will help you begin to, um, if you have savings that's already available, how can you begin to expedite the process of uh, replenishing that retirement. So speak to your HR person, increase your allocations. Number one, if you're over 50, you actually have some um, extra money that you can um, be added to your, um, whether it be a TDA or four, uh, 401k or 403b, you are entitled to be able to play a little bit more catch up. The same thing with um, an IRA, the individual retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. Everyone has, like, I think, for 2022 is 6,500. If you are um, 50 and you have to play catch up, you get a little extra more. You get a little bit more. So I would say number one, exhaust those areas of traditional retirement to make sure that you can begin to accelerate to play catch up. Two, I was like number three, wherever we are, I would say you have to start getting very clear about, excuse me, what money do you have coming in right now that can reduce your expenses what can you unless um, looking straight at your budget or your income are you making enough money or is it that the lifestyle that you have has been keeping you from being able to save so one or the other or both then they're going to have to be things you have to you're going to have to be able to make adjustments around so now i would say suggest is that perhaps um selling things whether that means if you have a home, like an asset like that, that you can sell and then live in a smaller place and put that money, um, the, the money after you've purchased something new or smaller, perhaps in a different state um, of a different size, that that money can be actually used toward making sure that you'll be okay in the future. This is all I'm assuming if the person's closer to their age of retirement and doesn't have anything. 
Um, I would also say increasing your income streams. So depending on what your skill set is, depending on <clears throat> your skill set and your interest, you may, you know, be just a stone thrown, a stone's throw away from having your first um, four-figure month. You may have your first thousand dollars, depending on what it is that you can do and like to do and people are willing to pay you to do. So I don't think it's um, a cause for catastrophe ultimately, but it is a cause for concern now if you're saying you've depleted your retirement. I don't know how much was there, but um, I would look to at least begin to, just as a recap, one, stop you know, touching it, two, speak to your HR person to figure out how can you begin to play catch up, what that would mean, increasing your allocations, and also increasing your allocations with your IRA as well. If you don't have one, open it up. And then if you're over 50, um, take advantage of the opportunities to increase it. The other side is that you'll have to decrease your expenses. Um, finding things like in your budget that you can either reduce or eliminate. But then the funny thing about that is that you, you should automate that those um, those extra savings either into a non-brokerage non investment account, one that you can open up online that has nothing to do with your retirement, but will grow your money. So you won't, so it'll, it'll uh, have your money work for you. It'll increase the the amount that you have without you having to put um, time in for the money. And then <clears throat> four, increase your streams of income. If you want, if you have an entrepreneurial um, uh, spirit, or even if you don't, a necessity, sometimes that becomes it. It doesn't have to be forever. But until you set like a particular amount of money that you want, if you say you want to have $20,000 by a certain amount of time, then you can figure out what can you do that could generate 20K, maybe over, five years, you know, so it doesn't have to be something that has to be right away, but you know what your goal is. And then I think the fourth thing or the fifth thing is to um, get clear about lifestyle adjustments that you have to make. Mm -hmm. Would you have to, you know, move someplace else, move to a smaller place, move to a different state, move back home, you know, will it be cheaper back home? Because sometimes it may not necessarily be cheap, you know? Um, and then another thing is like your connections, like what relationships do you have where possibly you can negotiate a, a higher paying salary or change um, change positions for a higher salary? Um, and then working home, working from home also allows that, you know, sometimes depending on the company, they don't really care where you live. It's not based, it's not commiserate with where your location, it's just a, um, the value brought from the position it has. So you can have like a high paying job in a low cost um, to live um, um, state. And that can actually offset um, the the time it takes to replenish your retirement. So lots to consider, but it is doable. It is very doable. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for that. So we have a question from uh, one of our Gen members. What financial advice do you wish someone gave you when you were 20 years old? I would say for most people, it would be to start young, you know, that uh, start saving for retirement as soon as possible. Mm. I mean, I heard that too. Did I take that advice? Um, a little bit, you know, um, and I think that that helped me, but I think I would say when you're young, you have youth on your side. So begin investing early. Um, another piece of advice that is starting to come now is 
uh, stay out of debt and live simply, mm-hmm. right? You can have fun without um, racking up credit card debt. That is true. I remember someone told me that when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in college, you know, I was introduced to this credit system very, very late in life. Because mm-hmm. in the Caribbean, we had no credit. I had a friend mm-hmm. who asked me, do we have credit in Trinidad? Um, yes, we do. And I only found that out when I went to take get a loan at one point. I was 19. Right. And they said, what's your credit? And I was like, that's American system. We don't have credit. And they're like, yes, we have credit. And I was like, <laughs> never knew that. Right. Never knew that. So, um, I have a question um, that's really for the community is we are all seeking to get a handle on our finances, but there's all this noise on social media. How do we like cut through the noise and know what's real? Because it's really hard these days. Everybody's an expert and no this to anybody. But unless I know you or unless I have a relationship like offline with you or kind of know you personally, how... How do we like cut through all the noise and kind of like focus in on what we need to be doing? Because it's really hard, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's a great question. I think with personal, I think with influencers, and I don't even consider myself one, mm-hmm. but I may be grouped in that category. Um, I would be very discerning if the the I think you need to curate who you follow. Number one, right, right. and if you notice that there's a push to sell a lifestyle mm-hmm. and then sell a product right after that, that may let you know that that might not be a trustworthy person, right? right. So if they're trying to show you, look what I did, look what I did, and I can share how I did it for $1,900 or something All like right. that, then I would definitely put um, a question mark on that. And I would say that you have to, what they call in the education world, triangulate my data. Social media is not the first place I will go to for personal finance advice if I want someone to actually support me. So mm-hmm. I may, you may love me, Mel, right? But if you know, and things I say, I would say, you know, you need to talk to, I have a financial advisor, so you need to get a team. Mm-hmm. So you may have your favorite influencer who has really good ideas that really speak to like healing your relationship with money. But, that, but then you also need to have an accountant, Right. So you need to find someone who is a reputable accountant. You may want to find an enrolled agent who does your taxes, right? You may want to have a financial advisor that can specifically help you with your um, investing um, your investing goals. And they'll t- talk to you about your risk tolerance and um, all those things in your, you know, your, your, your social um, responsibility profile. And then where your goals are in terms of how long do you need your money? So if I were you, I would take the, be use some of the, maybe the personal finance um, content as inspiration to help you find the experts in the field in the specific areas. Because I do general personal finance. I'm not an accountant. I'm a financial educator, not a financial investor. Uh, advisor. So what that means, I know lots of information. I can share information about you, but I wouldn't, I'm not the person that you would come and say, Kara, come look at my documents, walk me through, what should I be buying? Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be able to know, looking either at their credentials or their content, what this person is good for. Like you may love a podcast, 
it doesn't mean that they're going to be your financial advisor. So I think you have to also be very um, thoughtful about who you get your inspiration from. Because I think what we do as personal finance, I guess, in that space is show you our personal journeys and stories and it can be done. And then we're the responsible ones of us. We may offer courses on things that we've done well, that we've become an expert on. But then those of us that are um, equally responsible may say here, but you may need to contact a financial advisor that you trust or talk to your community and your network to find an accountant that works, excuse me, for you. Speak (coughs) to your HR person about what your company specific um, retirement options are. Mm. Should we also be curating our circle of friends at some point? For sure. I mean, I think that, I mean, listen, I know there was a phase I was going through when <clears throat> I wanted to buy, um, I was giving myself, I guess, learning to give myself permission to buy things that I wanted because I was taught, I came from the other side of financial hoarding. So I would call my friend that always bought things over $500 for no good reason. I said, sis, should I buy this? She's like, yes. Next question. Well, would she, but would I go to her? I'm like, listen, I'm thinking I'm trying to save for a house, but I also want to go to Cabo. What do you think she's going to say? Go to Cabo. (laughs) Right. You don't call her. Right. But you call. So I'm saying is you can curate your, you can curate for your, um, I would be one of those friends that'd be like, let's make a plan. Let's figure out how we can do it at the same time. What's most important? Let's prioritize. But then you want the friend that's going to be like, let's turn up. Like, and forget the budget, but you know who they, you know, their responses. So it's you that has to decide who you're really going to call and what you call them for. Cause you know, you're calling them cause you want a particular answer. And so I think it's good to have a variety of a uh, number of financial uh, personalities in your crew, but you ultimately have to decide which ones you're going to listen to and for why. Now a lot of us are just like, we're going to Cabo. <laughs> that money right. wait, right? Yes. Yeah, but then don't be mad at that friend that got the house. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, it must be nice. Yeah, y'all were in Cabo sending me pics. I wasn't able to go because I was doing this. So don't be mad when I'm sitting in the back, you know, backyard sipping a culotta. Not Cabo, but it's a culotta in my house that I pay for. So, you know, they're trade-offs. So you can't be mad. Choices, choices, choices. Yeah, they're both add value, but you have to be honest about what you want the most. And it doesn't mean you can't have Cabo. It just means the house comes first, then Cabo. Or if you do Cabo first, the house takes a little bit longer. And that's okay too. But just know that there's a trade-off. Right, absolutely. Cara, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Tell us where we can find you. Yeah, you can find me all over. Um, Frugal Feminista on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram. I have the site, The Frugal Feminista. And if you go to the Frugal Feminista forward slash community, you can get the first three days of the Heal Your Relationship with Money book for free. So I'll leave you that link. And um, you can always email me at cara at the frugal feminista.com. Thank you so, so much. Yes, thanks, Ma. Thanks for having me. No problem. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Well Black Sis. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other women striving to be well to find the show. If you want to hear more from our community, 
You can follow on Instagram at WellBlackSys and check out the website at wellblacksys.com to find out what exciting meetup we have next. You can also sign up for the WellBlackSys newsletter to make sure you don't miss out on future WellBlackSys updates. Talk to you soon.